Welcome to the Overanalyzers. I'm Dan. He's Mike. Good morning. Today we'll be talking about the perfect morning routine. I have been working on the perfect morning routine for quite a while, and I think I'm getting there. Been been honing it down, trying to figure out what's important and what isn't. Uh, and I know that you've been working on it too. Let's start with you. What is your what is your perfect morning routine? Okay. Well, it's very simple, and it probably only lasts about thirty minutes before the day starts. And it's nothing special, but the perfect morning routine for me starts the night before. Before I go to bed, I start the coffee, or I set the coffee to be made ready for me in the morning. And that has changed things completely for me, even though it seems really simple. And everyone else has probably done this since forever. But that's when my morning routine starts. I start the coffee the night before. I wake up. And I brush my teeth, get dressed, whatever. I feed the dogs. And then I drink a glass of water. And then I pour my coffee. I take my coffee and my dogs and I go outside, take the dogs outside. And then I come back in and that's pretty much it. And then I get started on whatever I need to get started on. But that's like the very simple morning routine. Okay. I'll tell you mine. Mine is also deceptively simple, but I... I'm going to argue pretty soon for why some of these seemingly simple things are life-changing. Oh, we're going to argue. Yeah, we are. <laughs> All right. I wake up. Well, as lame as it sounds, as you said, morning routine starts the night before. Going to bed at the correct time. Uh, I go to bed without a phone. That's a big deal that I'm going to talk about soon. Which means that I wake up without a phone. Uh, I have lights set on timers so that, you know, the lights come on at the right time. And, you know, my, my environment is built around these very consistent cycles. And I've done that very intentionally. Wake up without a phone, get up, use the bathroom. I weigh myself, do that every morning. And then I get dressed. And then I go down into the basement and I meditate for eight minutes. Or actually, I start coffee first. So, But I'm going to start doing the timer thing because I just realized that my coffee pot does have a timer on it. It has one of those auto grinder thingies and it, it'll yeah. grind the beans. Like, I don't know why I, I didn't do that. I guess I just. Oh, you have been to in. do it. Yeah, I know. That's actually brilliant. Well, I didn't used to because I would get up at all different times because my sleep was a mess. But that is not the way to live. So now that I get up at a consistent time, at least ideally, coffee timer makes sense. So that's perfect. So I'm going to do that. All right. I go down to the basement, meditate for eight minutes, and I jump on the pull up bar do 25 pull-ups and then I uh, walk upstairs and grab the coffee, go sit out on the front porch where it's light and the light is kind of an important thing. And I drink the coffee and I usually I'll bring my e-reader out there, which uh, I'm able to do flashcard review and stuff on. So if I have uh, flashcards that are pending, then I'll, I'll review some of those. If not, I might read a little bit or, or even just sit there, drink the coffee and this is all still with no phone. And then I go back inside and begin the day, which might be work or it might be something else. That's my morning routine. I think it's pretty close to perfect. Well, I feel like mine is also pretty close to perfect for me. 
Mm-hmm. It also does not include any phone. I don't think I mentioned that, but yeah, I've, I use my phone for an alarm, but as soon as I shut it off, it just sits there and I, yeah, I do. Yeah. Again, I want to argue about that in a minute, but, uh, you know, I, I, it's different for different people. I think anybody trying to optimize things has to understand where they're at and what their personality type is like. For me, the presence of the phone is a major, major problem. So I can't even have it near me. Well, you want to talk about that? Let's. Well, I, I want to start bad. backwards, actually. Let's get okay. to the phone in a minute. But the it, it, we both go outside and absorb light. <laughs> absorb outside, yes. Yeah. Well, but right, both. But in particular, I want to talk about the light for a second. Did you know... Uh, well, you've heard of rods and combs, yes, in your eye. Cells in your mm-hmm. eye. Yeah. You're an artist, but I imagine everybody's heard of that. Did you know that there's a third one? It's not just rods and cones, there's something else. Did you know that? What is it? So there's rods, there's cones, and then there's intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. Oh, wow. How long yeah. did it take you to memorize that? A while. It's in my space repetition thing. Can you just say it one that. more time? intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells i don't know why that guy didn't get the memo of hey we're going to use fun little shapes for all the the things in the eye rods cones and then that nonsense but that's what they're called but there is a third cell in your eye that no one taught me about you know what it does it sets your circadian clock that's why it's there it doesn't well there so if you dig into it it's a little bit complicated i don't want to oversimplify too much it it seems like it it there's certain subtypes and some of them do contribute in certain ways to your visual system it it can make you a little bit more able to discern uh like contrast and things like that and they've done tests where they do horrible things to mice and rats and like blind them but only leave these cells and they can still like see a little bit it helps with dilating the pupils so it, it has some different functions, but for the most part, it doesn't really contribute very much to your visual system in terms of what you're seeing. What it does is it is wired into your suprachiasmatic nucleus and it sets your circadian clock. And that's wild to me that you have cells in your eye and their mostly only purpose is to set your circadian clock. And I I listened to a, an interview with... Uh, Samer Hatar, I think his name is. And he's he's a researcher who focuses on that. Uh, he's got like co-credit for discovering these IPRGC cells. And he he's talking he just studies circadian rhythms and light and everything. Uh, and he's you know explains that that's what they're for is setting your circadian clock and how the circadian rhythm, that clock, it affects you like we think of it as affecting your sleep wake cycles and it, it helps you go to sleep and wake up and it's how your body knows when to be awake and when to be asleep but that's not it i mean you have all this hardware in your eyes actual cells in your eyes you have as you so horrifyingly put it uh you know an almond that if you had pressed it through your eye socket it would you know wind up here right that's your super nucleus it's this like chunk of brain this whole piece of your brain, the size of an almond, dedicated to setting this clock. And your cells 
respond or behave differently, your RNA behaves differently based on different points in the circadian cycle. Uh, you can actually take somebody's blood and there's all these different markers that are very specific to what point in the circadian cycle you're at because there's just all these physiological processes that happen with the circadian cycle. It's incredibly important to the function of a human being, not just sleep-wake, but how accurate your circadian clock is. So, well, you're saying when you go outside and see the sunlight, your brain yeah. is signaling you to wake up because it's that part. Yes. Uh, the, the circadian clock has to be set. It's not purely automatic. You aren't born and then your body just knows from then on exactly when day, night, and how to synchronize the entire process. You need cues for it. And the what is probably the biggest cue out of all of them, and there are, there are many, you know, uh, consistent meal timing can be part of it, uh, all kinds of things. But the biggest one is seeing very bright light triggering those IPRGCs in the morning. That's the, the strongest indicator to your circadian clock, the suprachiasmatic nucleus, that this is the start of the day and this very bright light is, is the morning. And that helps time your release of cortisol and your release of adrenaline and much later in the evening, your release of melatonin and all of the hormones and all the physiological processes that are supposed to happen, you know, throughout the 24 hour cycle. That's a really, really key thing. And so I, part of the perfect morning routine for me is trying to make sure that I am exposed to very intense light. And those IPRGC cells, uh, you've, you're an artist, so I know you're familiar with this stuff, but Anybody who's ever taken photos with a, like a DSLR, not just a phone camera, where you have to set white balance and things yourself, you notice uh, how crazy different the intensity of light is outdoors versus indoors. You know, if it sets it automatically, you don't really think about it. In your eyes, you don't think about it with your visual system. You can walk out onto the beach where it's super bright and your eyes will adjust to where you can see. But if you try to take a camera from your living room and then brought it out to the beach, you would see literally a white square. I mean, the, the light intensity is so different in those two uh, circumstances. And your, your perception of it doesn't really reflect how different the intensity of the light is. But those IPRGC cells, they are tuned to light intensity. So even if you wake up and you flip the lights on and you're like, ah, it's really bright that's probably super super dim it's you know a tenth or less of the uh light intensity of just being outside even on a, a somewhat overcast day so it's very important to get really bright light and it's pretty hard to mimic that with artificial light but that is a fundamental part of setting your circadian clock and i think that your circadian rhythm getting that very dialed in uh is one of the most important things that a human being can do in terms of general health you can kind of see the, the difference in light intensity if you go into a restaurant and say you're kind of sitting in the middle of the restaurant and there's people sitting by the window mm -hmm. or by the big windows that face outside. Uh, you will hardly be able to make out anything mm -hmm. that's going on with them. It's called... Um, uh, I forget the name of it. That's embarrassing. But anyway, you, okay. you can't tell what's going on because the outside is so bright. Mm -hmm. Even though you just came from outside and didn't realize how bright it was, once your eyes adjust to the inside, you, you can't see what those inside details. 
Yeah. And that and even that's just through a window that's far away. I mean, the amount of light intensity you get being outside in this 180 degree dome of daylight plus the reflection off the ground is just so much higher than than artificial light. And your yeah. your body needs that or it's a major part of setting that circadian clock. And again, it it affects you from the cellular level up, which is crazy. I didn't know about that third cell, so that's, that's right. Cool to I feel like yeah. it's funny. Can you say it one more time? <laughs> Intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. Nice. It does not roll off the tongue at all. <laughs> they, they should be called triangles or something. or cubes or something, right? Yeah. Rods, cones, and yeah. cubes that just that help us out here, scientists. So basically, you want to wake up and then go stare at the sun. Yeah, do the sun stare. Well, be- before we get into any more, what is a perfect morning routine? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? What is the point of it? Yeah. Like, why is what you do so perfect for you and what I do so perfect for me? And why wouldn't it be perfect for other people? Or why would it be? Like, what are we trying to accomplish by going through these routines every morning? Yeah. Um... That's a very good question. I There's certainly multiple things that I'm trying to achieve. As I've said many times, uh, sleep is something I've really struggled with. And I've really made a project of that. And so that's one of my priorities. So the circadian clock is part of sleep. And that's, that's why that's there. You know, pe- if you spend a little while on YouTube, especially in the productivity category that we're more or less inside of, you will have 1,000 suggestions of things that you ought to do that are healthy for you. And so it's you have to kind of decide, okay, what out of those million things, I don't have 60 hours in a day to do all of the stuff that I'm supposed to do. Uh, what do I need to do? What is the most important? So that's one thing that I have decided. Yep, this is a really big deal for me, and I know it because I can measure it. You know, I... I have started to really appreciate the difference between uh, getting sufficient and, you know, high enough quality sleep and the difference that makes throughout the day for me. So that's, that's in there. That's one reason, but that's still a, a detail. I think part of what I'm after is this almost like taking ownership of the day in my time and if i if i don't have any routine where i just wake up and go oh my god i need to be at work i gotta get going i probably have a meeting soon and i just sort of run in you know shirtless with a cup of coffee and like start going that's very different than if i wake up and i do these these sets of things even though it really doesn't take very long it's just a, a handful of things it it feels like my time is mine now in a way where I'm intentionally beginning a day and I'm starting off with things that I I know are important to me. I don't know how to say it exactly. You're trying to take control of your brain. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. At least for me, that's kind of how it is. Because before you wake up and then you just try to figure it all out. Yeah. 
all at once. And that could lead you down all kinds of different paths and very quickly end up where you don't want to be. Yeah. So now I, the, the routine just helps me get to the right state of mind that I need in order to go through the rest of the, the day. That's probably the best way to put it, actually, is that there are states of mind that I want to be in. I want to be very alert and very focused and I want to feel motivated and all the good things that you associate with being effective and productive and happy even, right? I want those states of mind right. and there's states of mind that I know I don't want, like feeling agitated or depressed or unmotivated. There's, you know, a million experiences and emotions that fit into that category of stuff that I know I'm going to experience sometimes, but I want to avoid that as much as I can, especially on a daily basis. So that's, I would say that's the real goal of a routine or, or any, any action that I take is I want to try and be in those good states of mind. And they're in some cases, they're really good. Like sometimes if, if everything is really lined up, I feel really good. I mean, I enjoy doing the stuff that I do. And, you know, even things that are frustrating that pop up, they're only kind of frustrating. I can work through them pretty quickly and I can get back to these these modes of feeling great about about doing stuff. And I feel like I'm learning and evolving and being productive. That's what I want. That's That's the goal of the morning routine. Okay. Can we talk about the phones now and why that's so bad? Yes. Yes, we can. Okay. Why are phones so bad? <laughs> Do you have that poll that we did a couple of weeks ago? We had it intended look. to bring it up on the yeah. the podcast right after and we didn't, but I want to look at it now. Yeah. We had asked how uh Do you look at your phone in bed? Yeah, yeah. And the four answers were yes at night before i fall asleep yes in the morning before getting out of bed both nope i stare intently at the ceiling okay so what was the breakdown uh yes at night before i fall asleep 15 percent of people said yes uh in the more yes in the morning before getting out of bed nine percent said that and both uh 64 percent <laughs> and only 13% said no, that they don't look at their phone either in the morning or, or at night. So, so that's a lot of percent saying they're using their phone in bed, whether in the morning or at night or both. And mostly yeah. it's both, 64%. Both. Right. So we're at about 90% of people. And I would argue that our audience is, if anything, probably more mindful uh, than the general population so on i mean can't extrapolate too much but i imagine the amount of people using their phone in bed is beyond 90 percent here's so my goal was better sleep that was the original plan and what's funny about trying to uh you get, sometimes when you're pursuing a specific goal, you wind up with side effects. And in, in my pursuit of trying to 
sleep better at night that well i don't want to be stimulated and, and have something keeping me awake right before bed so i'll make this new rule where the phone doesn't go in the bedroom which also means that i wake up without the phone uh and it's what's crazy about that is the first time i did that the first time i went to bed and i did not bring the phone with me the emotion that i would describe was is fear like actual fear of me going to bed without this thing. And there's also this feeling of emptiness. Sitting there and just not having it near me. I, this sounds insane. I, I know I'm making myself sound like I have a problem. But that's because I do. Uh, <laughs> it was remarkable how this felt. I just I hadn't done this in I don't even know how long. But just the phone is always there. And waking up, that same feeling, there's this weirdness of, oh, there's nothing here. I don't, there's nothing that I can use to distract me. I, whatever thought is in my head, I got to deal with that or, you know, different experience. And it's so remarkable. It's not, it, it feels like just such a very specific and very powerful feeling of not having the phone there. And I've started to think more and more about this. And I've started to look into it a little bit and read some of the, uh, the neuroscience behind it. So this is obvious, but it's one of those things that I had never really thought about before. Your brain has a model for your body, right? I mean, of course it does. It has to, because how else would it work? But I never thought of it that way. You know, if, if somebody throws you a ball and you're going to go to catch it, you don't sit there and, and stare at all the parts of your arm and your hand and your fingers and like watch them become guided into just the perfect spot. Your brain has this idea of how your how big your arm is and where it's at and how it works and everything. And you put together this solution in your mind of, oh, my hand's going to have to go there. And then your brain using this this model that it has of your body, it, it fires some muscles and it, it moves it to the right spot. Uh, proprioception is is the term for your your mind's awareness of where your body is at. And they've done some. It kind of a, a more recent thing, but they've done some research to where they they have you know fMRIs and ways of brain scanning where they'll they'll take an object and they'll move it next to your hand. and your brain has a model of your hand and there's this certain threshold where if it if it gets close enough to your hand, certain neurons light up. And if you take it away, those neurons go dark. Like there's very specific regions of the brain that, are, are dedicated to modeling your body and it's dedicated like it, it when things get into a certain threshold they become part of that model in a sense i mean you could think about it if you're holding a tool like a, a tennis racket you know i played tennis for a long time that tennis racket when you're using it it's part of your body in every sense you know you see the ball coming you know where the racket is you know it, it's part of that your brain's model of of your arm and everything you know how to how to move it without looking at it or having to think about it at all you know how to get the the ball to hit the sweet spot on the racket if you hit you know on the edge towards the frame it feels really bad like the you know something is off i mean you develop this very in tune sense of, of where the racket is at i am sure it's the same for you with a paintbrush right you don't have to sit there and, and try to calculate how far down the brush tip is from your fingers you're holding that brush it's just part of your body yeah. So there's this 
They call it peripersonal space. The, the prefix peri just means near. So basically within arm's length. If something is within arm's length of your body, your brain models it in a certain way. And if it's in your extrapersonal space, so outside your arm's length, your brain models it very differently. If something is in your personal space, it's almost like it's a part of you. Your brain actually, I mean, there's different circuits that you can observe with an fMRI that are lit up when that thing is in arm's reach. <laughs> I don't know for sure that this is what's happening, but I think it is. Have you ever been eating something, say a slice of pie, and you think that you have one more bite, and then you look down and realize that you don't? Yes. It's I'm like the most... Curious. It's the most violating feeling ever. It's different than if you just decided not to order a piece or something. Like it, it's part of you in a way. Like it's yours. You're you're in ownership of it. I don't know. To me, that's like such a distinct and strong feeling. It's it's a terrible thing. But the broader point is that your brain models things that are in arm's reach very very differently. And you think about. If you're sitting at a, a restaurant and you, you know, I'll, I fidget a lot. I'll fidget with my wedding ring or a bottle cap or anything like it. It just becomes part of my body and I'll just sit there and, and use it and move it and play with it. And that's just how it works. So obviously your phone. Your phone is an invader. It it wants things from you. And, and some of it's blatantly malicious so if you look at the way that a lot of social media companies work but i don't even want to just blame that um just the amount of distraction and that stuff that's available there on your phone is, is staggering and it becomes when it's with you when it's in arm's reach your brain models that as part of you and in, in a sense you can almost fidget on the phone with the phone like getting lost in all these things and they've done tests you I, well i'll try to link a few of them um, if I can refine the papers, but they've done tests where just they've looked at driving performance and just the presence of your phone, not not notifications going off, not the phone like actively distracting you, but just it being there inside your peripersonal space causes degrading uh, degraded driving performance. It can cause degraded uh, test scores. Just again, just being there. There's many instances of being able to watch just the phone. Just, just adding the phone into your model of your body causes degraded performance because your your attention is being pulled towards this thing that's now now part of you. It's really wild. I have felt this. I, I have never heard of this before. I think it's super fascinating, and I think it is. I have felt this many times. Where if I leave my phone in the other room, I feel very disconnected from it. Yeah, like it's really far away. But if I leave it in my pocket, it's like I can feel it. It's like, you know, it doesn't really leave my brain. So that's perfectly in line with what I've felt before. Yeah. So part of this is getting outside the morning routine, I guess. But that feeling that, again, I said is very scary at first, but it starts to be I feel different. I feel more present. I feel more awake, which is, again, something that's been studied and is observable. I thought, well, probably I ought to do this all the time because this seems like a way better way to live. 
So I, I made my phone a new home. It's got its little, it has a spot uh, next to the coffee maker on this cabinet. And it's a nice spot. It's near the kitchen. I use my phone to log food on a lot, so it's convenient. I can grab it and do stuff with it. And if I need it, I can go get it. But there's no, there's no place in the house. There's no seat that is within arm's reach of that phone. So it is now, I mean, I, I, I travel with it still, you know, I'll take it with me to the grocery store and stuff. But at the default state is that it is not inside my very personal space. It is extra personal. And the, the difference, just, just try it. Just anybody out there. I know all of you use your phones too much because you took our poll and <laughs> you said you sleep with it, which I do too, or did. I mean, I, you, I kept thinking like, maybe I'm just worse. You know, maybe I just have a big problem. And I, I, and that is probably true. Like Sam is way less attached to her phone. She leaves it lying around all the time. So not everybody's where I'm at, but I think, I think a lot of you guys are, are pretty bad, but just try it for a couple days. Just watch what happens. It's, it's awful at first. It's like withdrawal symptoms, but just, just wait and see. Well, I, yeah, could not agree more. And and I'm going to start doing that, too, because most of the time I have my phone on me. Yeah. Again, it's not even, even using your it. phone. It's just being yeah. there. But here's an example of a way that because we, we we say, you know, don't look at your phone or don't use social media, blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah. th- this is an example of it actually affecting me. And it could be considered bad or good, but I just think it's interesting. And this happens all the time to me or it has happened all the time. I woke up in the morning maybe about a month ago, look at my phone, you know, right as the alarm goes off, and I there's a bunch of notifications on the phone. And so I take the phone, and I'm brushing my teeth while looking at the phone, and it's Discord. So I open up the Discord, and there's all these comments about uh, music. And I, I think it was in reference to my music. And so I'm, I'm reading these, and I'm thinking about my music. I'm thinking about, you know, Back in the day, I used to write music. Oh, yeah, I really like music. Music's mm-hmm. wonderful. But I had this huge list of things to do that day, none of which included playing music. The entire day, the only thing I could think about was music. Like, that, that's the only thing my brain yeah. wanted to go to. It's just music, music, music the, the whole day. And talking to people on Discord about music. So it wasn't just music. It was that Discord. And then it's, it's as if the, the first thing you think about or see in the morning captivates you for the rest of the day. Yeah. It's like when you wake up, your, your brain is a bunch of liquidy eggs in a frying pan. As soon as you wake up, the oven turns on or the stovetop turns on and you start cooking. And within 30 minutes, you're cooked. Like you are, you are set for the whole day. And you're stuck in yeah. that brain state for the rest of the day. And I, I see this all the time now. And uh, so with a morning routine, I try to gear that first thing to be whatever it is I actually want to be doing or need to be doing. Um, do you see this happening with oh, you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, the, the meditation has been really revealing. I think we kind of talked about this last week, but yeah, uh, having to sit down and clear your mind, so to speak, and just try to focus on something simple and boring, you see what thoughts pop up. And without fail, if I use my phone when I wake up, 
it doesn't even have to be next to me in bed. If I get up and I go check stuff, Discord, some like not even bad things, just innocuous stuff. Like you said, the Discord right. is great. I love it. I'm, there's nothing bad about that. But uh, doing that first and then going down and trying to meditate, those thoughts are just that's what's swirling yeah. around in my head. And if I pay attention, it's still there hours later. I, I think you're totally right. Uh, in, in fact, uh, some of the neuroscience kind of points to this idea that there's there's this relationship between your waking mind and your sleeping mind and where there a lot happens when you're asleep. Your memories are physically moved from the hippocampus to the neocortex and there's all kinds of memory consolidation and things that happen. Your sleeping is a very, very active process. And there's some evidence that points to this idea that there's there's kind of a link between the two and the things you think about going to bed can be, you know, influence what is prioritized and worked on while you're asleep. And then as you're waking up, there's there's this relationship between what has happened and what's being moved back into your conscious mind. And th they're connected, the conscious and unconscious parts of your mind. And that morning period when you're awake seems like it's pretty important. It's certainly noticeable, even just from an anecdotal point of view, uh, that if you start shoving stuff in there, random crap with, you know, your phone and the internet and things, that it just sticks there. It's like your mind, like you said, it's like eggs that haven't been cooked yet and it's waiting to to form up around these things and i think taking control of that process and deciding on your own terms not letting some other service or company or or even just device whatever decide what's going to be fixed into your mind taking control of that i think is a huge deal so with the phone it's almost like you're pulling a slot machine every time you if you wake up in the morning, you grab your phone and you open it, you have no idea what it's going to show you. Maybe it's the perfect thing you need to see, but it's not going to be. It's going to be some random stuff that is not important to you for the day. So that's why the phone is bad for me. It's not just, yeah. you know, phones are evil and all technology is evil. You said slot machine. Here, Here's what's been really remarkable about... Um, moving the phone from the very personal space to the extra personal space <coughs> sorry for the coughing i've been sick for the past week um which could be a whole nother podcast of sick behavior and how to deal with that because it sucked um one of the the biggest side effects and this this is an idea that i'm just getting more and more enthralled with and interested in so I sit on the couch, maybe I'm watching a, a show or reading a book or anything, and the phone is not there. It's not part of my body, like it usually is. And I, again, at first, this is kind of hard. It, it really doesn't feel good. You're, you're used to it being there. It's as if somebody or that, that last bite of pie has disappeared and you don't know it yet. You're like, ah. But So I get all these impulses of, oh, I want to look this up or I want to check if somebody responded to me on discord or whatever, you know, browsing Instagram, even God forbid. And that's not there. Like I get this impulse and then it goes nowhere. I, I don't act on it. And the, I mean, I can, there's no, I don't have a rule of, I can never use my phone. It's right there. It's, you know, in the dining room on the cabinet. I just have to get up and go get it. And as soon as you had, this is one of the major differences when it, when something's in your extra personal space, it's not 
you can't access it with zero effort. Like you can if you just it's right there. You access it un unconsciously even. If it requires effort, then you have to evaluate everything. You think, I want to check Instagram, but do I want to get up and walk across the room to check Instagram? Hell no, of course not. That's definitely not worth it. Like So you, you evaluate everything that way. But keep getting these impulses and they keep just going over and eventually it starts to settle down and I'll you know get focused on what I'm doing. But what I've noticed, this is the craziest thing, is that that those those impulses come out in other places at other times i'll be walking around and i'll see a pile of clothes and i'll oh i gotta fold these these are you know whatever that's never happened before <laughs> that's a new feeling of suddenly getting an impulse to fold up my clothes i think what's happening i in a sense, you have a fixed amount of uh, dopamine release. Not, not to everybody's obsessed with dopamine, and I don't want to be one of those people because it's obviously much more complicated than that. But taking that as at least an example, you have a certain amount of dopamine that is built up in your brain, and it gets released for, for certain things. And it's a very important neurotransmitter and, and neuromodulator, and it has all kinds of functions. But a, a major one is to motivate a person to seek out novel rewards from a survival standpoint. Uh, you know, if you saw a new tree that had fruit on it that you've never seen before, that gets a, a dopamine release or, you know, it can motivate you to go try a new area to find food or, or whatever. It's a, uh, and that's that's why it's so powerful in the randomized reward context. That's why social media platforms work the way they do. They're built around the randomized reward where you open it and you don't know what it's going to be. You get a notification. It's a red dot and you click on it and it's something. And, you know, the whole feed is built around that. It's, you know, we gave this example long, long ago. It's like a slot machine. If you imagine a slot machine that just gave you three cents every time you pulled the lever. Nobody's hooked on that. You know, but the slot machine that gives you mostly nothing and then sometimes a lot, the random award, that's that's really motivating. Anyway, dopamine motivates you to find novel rewards. And there is a certain amount of it that you get. And you can influence the amount of, of all kinds of things, right? By sleeping better and, and being more healthy. There's lots of things you can do to try and optimize what's going on in your brain. But no matter where you're at, you get some amount of motivation and, and you know, chemical reward and whatnot throughout the day. And a phone or a computer or, or anything like this, it's like a sponge and it soaks it all up where you get this impulse of, oh, go seek something novel. Try try this behavior and you, without even realizing it, because it's part of your body, it's in that space, you pull out your phone, you scroll through social media and maybe you're really good at, you know, going, okay, I've been on Instagram for a couple of minutes. That's fine. I'm going to put it down. But you've just spent again, to oversimplify a little bit, you've just spent your dopamine on scrolling Instagram. But if you don't do that, if you sit there and the impulse happens and you just continue to stay focused on the thing you're focused on, it's like you haven't wasted it all on this garbage. And you'll it's, find it in something else. Yes, it's like it starts to show up in other places. And I did not really expect this to happen, but it's, it's pretty wild. And it, it doesn't happen instantly. No, it doesn't. It takes a few days or yeah, of regular practice of 
doing that to start seeing the results happen. This is why I like years ago stopped watching TV and like took a big step of a big step back from technological this stuff and just tried to to find that reward in other things. And after a little while you start to see yeah just how incredible it it can be. There was yeah, there, there's definitely an adaptation period in it. Again, I, it's it's unpleasant at first. It really is. I kept looking. There's like this trend of the dopamine detox. And again, everybody's obsessed yeah. with dopamine. It's like the miracle neurotransmitter. Apparently you are too because you keep talking. About it. I know, but I'm trying to <laughs> somehow throw shade at people who are and yet also be a dopamine obsessed person. I don't know. Oh. I don't know what my angle is. <laughs> no, it, there's a bit of an obsession with dopamine. You hear all this stuff about dopamine detox, probably because of the alliteration. It's very catchy. And the idea is that you spend a day really bored. You just you don't stimulate yourself in any way. You lie on the couch and stare at the ceiling. Maybe you go for a walk, but no electronics, no anything. You're not even really supposed to interact with people. And it's this, you know, really low dopamine experience. And th there was a, a doctor researcher, I can't remember his name, but he kind of proposed this. And then even he was like, guys, this is not really what I meant. It's not really like a dopamine detox. That's a fundamental part of your brain. You're never going to be without it. But it's a useful way to, to think about stuff of trying to detox from these things. And I kept looking at that thinking, man, maybe I should do a dopamine detox for a day. And then I kept thinking, that's stupid. I don't. Does that really make a difference? Doing one day and then going back to the same behaviors, does that make a difference? Do alcoholics take one day off a month of drinking and then go back to it? Does that change their life? I don't think so. I think what you, this is me, right? I don't, I didn't conduct a double blind on what is most effective here. This is my own opinion, but that's stupid. All that stuff is stupid. I have this thing on my phone where you can, it's like a Zen mode. You can set it for 20 minutes where it locks the phone. And I kept doing that. You know, I'd be sitting there in the day and go, oh, I'm going to do a Zen mode. And then for 20 minutes, I don't have the phone. I'm like, wow, that was that was really good. I feel pretty zen. You know, I wasn't distracted for 20 minutes. How dumb is that? 20 minutes out of a day, twice a week? You know, if you're smoking cigarettes 24-7, you don't go, hey, well, the other day I took a 20-minute break from cigarettes, so I'm feeling pretty good. How pathetic okay. is that? Okay, well, yeah, but it's it's not stupid in the way that it makes you think about taking bigger breaks. Well, fine. I, no, I'm not saying <laughs> yes, don't do I, that. Yes. I'm just saying, like... If we're living in a state where all my motivation and everything is just being funneled into this crap, let's not do that anymore. Like fix the, I mean, whatever steps you need to take. Again, it's, it's painful. And for me, it's been this and still is this journey of trying to get there. But once I've started to recognize the problem in, in more concrete terms of, you know, it's, it's not just, oh, don't use your phone too much. It's not good for you. It's more like I can feel the actual effects. It's measurable. I can see the difference in my sleep. I can see the difference in my alertness levels and my motivation throughout the day. It's there's a direct one-to-one -one relationship there. Then it becomes, okay, let's figure out how to, how to fix this, you know, from the, I don't want to be an alcoholic anymore perspective, not the, you know, I took right. a 20 minute break from my phone. 
one day last week. So hooray. Right. I I just I couldn't I cannot stress enough the importance of the first thirty minutes of your day. Mm-hmm. If you get it wrong, you've destroyed your day. Like it's just <laughs> you're pretty much doomed for the whole day. There's a very few things you can do to come back from a really bad morning. Sadly, I do but agree. But it's kind of encouraging because if you can get it right within the first 30 minutes on waking up, you're usually pretty set. Uh, I Okay, I, I will say this. I've had days where I'll wake up really late and... You know, I maybe I didn't get to bed on time. Maybe I didn't sleep well, and I, I'm feeling off. I think uh, I think you do get partial credit if you can just get something going. You know, maybe I didn't meditate. Maybe I didn't do the pull-ups, but I did go outside and sit on the front porch for five minutes. It's something. You know, it feels like I I didn't you know grab the day by the horns, but I. You know, I, I, I asserted myself at least a little by doing something. And that, that actually is, it feels better. It feels better than just going, oh, well, today is is garbage and I can't do anything and I might as well just lie in bed for the next 10 hours. Right. Yeah. The, I think this idea of, the the, the popular idea of, waking up at 5 a.m. every single day doing a three-hour workout you know the second you wake up and yeah I don't know I I just I don't think it's quite like that but what you want is what you had said a couple weeks ago I think you said our focus is like a flashlight and you want the you know it can be a wide angle or a really short beam of light or beam of focus and so I was thinking about it like when you wake up in the morning, it's like you wake, you wake up in this dark cave. And you can either grab your big flashlight or you can grab your phone, the laser pointer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you either get the flashlight to find your way out of the cave or you grab this laser pointer and just shine it around and it's basically useless. And I think grabbing the phone is like grabbing the laser pointer. Yeah. Right. And it's, like and it's just rapidly moving from one thing to another you know yeah and you can't see the big picture right so you want your mornings to be sort of this big picture clear mind focused and feeling good yeah sort of way of thinking i put it this way your mornings are for you that's your time you're gonna get absorbed in an hour or so into all kinds of stuff in most cases you're gonna be doing stuff for somebody else you know you're working a job and they give you things to do and they give you some money and you do stuff for them. Your mornings are for you and for your brain to make that transition from sleep to wakefulness and start to focus on the things you want to focus on and decide what what is important, what should be stored in your mind and retrieved from your mind and thought about and processed throughout the day. That they're they're yours. Don't give it up. All right. Let's end it with that. All right. So we are going to be a little bit of a, or taking a little bit of a break for the holidays. We intend to be back in probably mid January, first week or two ish. We haven't nailed down an exact date. We're taking a little bit of time off. We, uh, 
would love to hear any thoughts. We're going to, again, spend a little bit of time trying to think about the show itself and how to improve it. Uh, we would like to, to next season, maybe try to grow the audience a little bit. So if there's any ideas on that, uh, that would be cool to hear. But again, thank you everyone for, for sticking with us and, and uh, giving us so much to think about and, and, and being people we can bounce ideas off of uh, and just having this dialogue open for the past season. It's been awesome. I feel like I've been through a lot of personal growth. I think you have too. So please continue to do that. We we aren't going anywhere. We won't be doing the show, but we will be around. So you can talk to us here on YouTube. You can uh, hang out with us on Discord. You can send us an email at theoveranalyzerspodcast at gmail.com. But we will see you in January.